You're listening to Bachelor to Boyfriend, the podcast that teaches you how to manage your mind so you can show up as the best version of yourself around women. And now your host, certified dating and intimacy coach for men, Erica Davian. So hi, Susie. It's so good to see you again. Thank you so much, Erica. It's great to be here. Yeah, I am really excited to have you on the podcast because I just so appreciate the way that you are so frank and open when it (laughs) comes to talking about men's health issues Mm -hmm. and sexuality. You have this amazing YouTube channel (laughs) that I only found after you and I spoke for the first time. So I binge watched a bunch of your videos and I just really think it could be so interesting and very refreshing to hear you speak about some of these issues for the men who are listening in today. I'd love to. And thank you for the compliments. I'm humbled. So maybe a great starting point would be if you could just explain a little bit about what a men's pelvic floor therapist is and why someone might seek out your help in the first place. Yeah. So men's pelvic floor physical therapy, or I like to coin it as urological physical therapy for men because we address issues with bladder, bowel, and sexual function. So if there's any issue down below that is causing someone trouble, then someone like myself can really help support to address some of the concerns. There's usually a physical issue that people have that is distressing and it's impacting their relationship romantically or sexually in some way. So for example, if you are having pain in your penis with an erection or after ejaculation or with ejaculation, what might that do to your overall desire and motivation to want to engage romantically or sexually or even to go dating? You know, let's say you're not in a relationship. If something is really hurting down there, most men that I work with can't even fathom thinking about talking to another individual or dating or bringing in a partner because there's a sense of I'm broken I'm hurting. I don't want to talk about this issue. How do I even bring this up? They're not going to want me. Who would want me? Mm. Who would want me with this issue? Right? So they're isolating themselves. They're holding it all in. And we know social connection is imperative and crucial in their recovery process, but that's not happening. And there's so much stress and worry around the what ifs, right? That they're not even trying to engage in ways that might be otherwise meaningful to help reduce pain. Or they might not even feel comfortable touching their own selves because they think that they're causing more damage or harm Mm. to their penis, right? So they're not even engaging with this part of their body at all, which then makes the situation much worse because it snowballs into because your body's adapting. All these protective systems adapt and they adapt in such a way to continue to expand that protective bubble. Wow. So the exact things that they you know, might need in order to get better are exactly what they're shying away from. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, when pain goes away, then I'll engage. It doesn't work that way, especially with persistent pain that is lingering for greater than three to six months without a known cause or pathology, right? They had every, all the tests done, everything is negative. That type of overprotection and in the form of pain and muscular tension and anxiety and stress, those are all outputs of protection. One of my roles is to support and coach them in how do we help create safety and trust and reassurance in your body, that your body is fit for purpose, Mm. that you can engage. 
So as a sexuality counselor, I also bring that in as well. What are some ways that you might be able to effectively communicate your needs, how you like to be touched? Because that's important, especially when, you know, let's say, for example, vigorous thrusting is painful. Well, what positions and what speed might you want to express or talk to your partner about that you want to engage in so that you can be present and experience pleasure rather than pain? Right, right. Why do you do what you do? And why do you do it with men? When I first started my practice, it was very, let's say, gynocentric or female-centric. And predominantly in pelvic therapy, we are more female-identified practitioners. So the emphasis or the message out there as far as pelvic care is talking to women and addressing women's health and women's issues, etc. And that's great. However, <laughs> men have pelvises too. <laughs> exactly. There are other people who have pelvises and genitals. There might be organized differently, but the functions and the underlying core of everything is basically the same. So why not address the penis and the genitals? When I first started, because my training even was very female-centric, we didn't have training around men's health, believe it or not. There were no special curriculum or anything like that as far as advanced coursework after. Oh my gosh, nobody can see my face right now, but my <laughs> jaw is <laughs> it's dropped. Like I can't believe that. Yeah, that is still true today. Although there are more pioneers and voices advocating for men's pelvic health and to bridge that gap a little bit more as far as pelvic and sexual wellness for men in our profession. So it's happening, but at a very slow rate. When men were reaching out to me when I first started my practice almost 10 years ago, I said, this isn't right. Why are you guys getting help sooner than later? Why are you coming in with pain? You've been dealing with this for several years and not getting anywhere. Like, what's going on? So I was just having open, honest conversations with men. They were a gift to me because I really learned. They were my teachers, mm. okay? They were brave. They were courageous to step into my office to ask for help. I mean, can you imagine, you know, in our society, especially as a male identified individual who's told, you know, man up, just deal with it. And that's what they're often told when they have pelvic pain because nothing's showing up on scans and they're dismissed, disvalidated. Just deal with it. They didn't give up. And they said, I have a lot of these issues too. Do you think you can help me? I said, yeah, come on in. <laughs> Let's do this together. You know, I might not know in the beginning, you know, I was like, hey, listen, this is new territory for me. We didn't get this training. And I was just very open and honest. I said, let's do this together. And they were so willing, more than willing wow. to, to do this work, you know, to do this work with me together. So from that space, so much was birthed. A program for other health professionals. I teach a course on the sexual pain navigating care for cisgender men through the American Physical Therapy Association to teach other healthcare professionals like myself to be feel more comfortable and confident working with men in these spaces. I wrote a book called Pelvic Pain: The Ultimate Cockblock to help men who are navigating, <laughs> you know, pelvic pain. Great title. <laughs> We, we, you got to put yourself in people's shoes, and that's empathy. I took it upon myself to really climb down my mountain of self and climb up the mountain of them, of other. I was like, it's no different. It's no different. Like, I need to help you. You know, let's do this together. So that's how it all evolved. And I completely rebranded to be an exclusive pelvic health clinic for men. And that pelvic health clinic is based in Asheville, North Carolina, here in the U.S. It sure is. Now, does that mean that if a guy doesn't live in Asheville, that he can't work with you? No, that does not mean that. In fact, we work with men all over the globe. 
everywhere. People from Israel, from the Republic of Georgia, from Saudi Arabia, from Canada. I mean, we're all over the map. And certainly in-person care would be optimal because the physical examination is really important and because that's part of the building trust and reassurance and assessing one's genitals, which, believe it or not, is often more overlooked than not when it comes to someone who's struggling with pain in their penis or erections or ejaculation. Even in pelvic therapy, there are therapists who refuse to even assess the genitals. Wait, so I'm sorry. They're saying like, I have pain in my penis and nobody looks at their penis. Yep. That's right. If that is so wild to me to think like if that were any other area of the body, Mm -hmm. right? Right. A a finger, an ear. Exactly. (laughs) Any other area, we would totally look at it closely. That is wild to me to think about. And I think that that's further adding stigma to the genitals and adding on to this idea that somehow they are different That's right. than other parts of the body. When I love to say to clients, like, they, they really aren't, <laughs> you know, just in the way you have a toe or an ear or a tongue, exactly. they're all just different parts. Exactly. Exactly. And so there's this discrepancy. And as I mentioned, this gap in the availability of care, but also how we deliver that care. And, you know, being able to tell someone and say, or give permission to someone, say, show me where you hurt. I mean, that is essential for someone to be able to express verbally, non-verbally, something that's inexpressible. That is part of the building trust in themselves, in the therapeutic relationship, but also to reduce their symptomology. So if we're talking about pain, for example, your brain, that person's brain needs to be validated (laughs) and have reassurance that a comprehensive assessment was performed. And they can feel confident that they're not hurting or harming themselves every time they're getting an erection or ejaculating or engaging in some sexual activity, right? And so then from there, we can offer treatment strategies that include touching of the genitals. Um, I call it like, give your genitals a hug, you know, to breathe into this part of their body, you know? So yeah, I mean, I don't want to digress too far <laughs> into the weeds, but it's imperative. Yes, it's imperative to assess the genitals. And unfortunately, it doesn't happen in all of these spaces. And that's unfortunate. But the good thing is you're here, right? And so if anybody is having issues with their genitals or with genital pain, like you are a person who is willing to take a look and consider what's going on and ask all the great questions. Definitely, definitely. And and like we were saying before we digress, I do work with people all over. Just reach out and we'll figure out a way to, to support you. We do telehealth that is just as supportive. And certainly there are many people who, if they are able to, they do come in for at least that initial assessment for an in-person care and then we follow through via telehealth. Mm-hmm. Is there a particular story or moment in your life that points to why you do this work? Yeah. So full disclaimer here, I have permission from my partner to share this story because it's just as much his story as it is my story. My partner who's now my husband in the beginning of our relationship 14 years ago, <laughs> it's a long time. And this was even before I kind of got into the pelvic health arena. In my mind, I had this expectation that his penis should operate in a particular way. Right. My previous partners were, you know, functioned in a particular way that if you're turned on and you like me, your penis should be hard, ready to go. Well, in this particular situation with my partner, we were kissing and all the things and kind of getting we're going to have sex. And all of a sudden I was like, he's not getting hard. I'm like, I was really shocked. I said, 
what's going on? And of course, it was all about me, the self-centered, just about me. Like, what is it? Is it? Am I not attractive enough for you? Like, what's going on? I felt so frustrated. And honestly, if I'm honest with myself, I was angry. And I think it's a common expectation that many partners might have on their male partners, I think. Oh, absolutely. Like, I'm not sure where this is going, but I really appreciate you sharing it because I do think so many men have either experienced that or they're afraid that they would experience that kind of pressure and expectation. Yeah. Oh, I could have done that a little bit better. But the point of the story that I want to go back to is his response, his reaction. He totally owned what was happening in his body. And he brought that in with confidence and reassurance and said to me, listen, we just started dating. This is how my penis works. I need to know I trust you. I need to know that this is going somewhere. And in fact, I think of it as awesome birth control because it has saved me from making awful mistakes. And I, in that moment, immediately woke up from the self-centered state of mind I was in. First of all, I felt really bad. And then I was like, wow, what a way to lean into vulnerability with confidence, positivity, and love for oneself. I swear, it gets me every time. Yeah. And I appreciate your candor in sharing that and admitting I was wrong. (laughs) I did not want to respond that way again in the future. And I think for any men listening to this who might have some challenges or concerns with your body's performance to remember that those same thoughts are available to you at any moment. To not see it as you being broken or that this is a personal shortcoming of your character, but rather to recognize like, hey, this is what my body needs. I know my body well enough to know that it doesn't just open up at any given moment. And I need to feel safe and secure. And hey, we just started dating. I just don't feel that way yet, right? So many men don't give themselves permission to think this way Mm -hmm. about themselves and about their bodies. Yeah. And that's what my message really is like. (laughs) It's like, how can we be compassionate towards ourselves? How can we start to deconstruct some of these unhelpful and negative narratives that we internalize and don't even know that we're living by? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, my work is so much focused on what's going on in the mind and how what's going on on the inside in our heads how that affects how our bodies show up and how that affects how we show up on the outside. Yet often when I talk to men who have challenges around the functioning of their genitals, often they see it strictly as a body issue. And when I bring up the idea of the mind-body connection, often I get the response of like, well, yeah, 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 but like, let's just fix the body. (laughs) Or they'll say like, well, you're a coach, so of course you are focused on what's going on in the mind inside. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, you know, could you just talk a little bit about how you see the mind-body connection? Yeah, yeah. And so if we're talking about sex, for example, there's worry around, am I going to be able to get an erection? What is my partner going to think? Am I going to be able to last longer a bag? Is she going to think I'm big enough? All those things essentially are jacking up or ramping up your bodily protective responses. Your bodily protective responses then are going to inhibit. So the nervous system, your immune system, your hormone system, all those systems kick into gear because it's a form of a stress response. And when you have a stress response in the body, muscles tense up, blood flow is being restricted from your sexual organs. Like you're not going to have 
arteries expand and dilate and nerves are not going to activate that release these nourishing neurochemicals. No, that's all going to be inhibited. And that happens from a top-down effect. That's your brain and spinal cord <laughs> impacting these reflexes. Because at the end of the day, erections and ejaculation are reflexes. They're spinal cord reflexes. So what I want people to know is just because you can't see what's happening on the inside of your body, there are trillions of mechanisms of which your biological system, like an ecosystem, is operating and adapting to moment by moment. It's very abstract to us as human beings because we, unless we're in it or we're doing research, we just don't have that sense of appreciation for the complexity that exists within our bodies. In fact, we can embrace complexity and say, well, if everything and anything can change how my body functions or how my body adapts then I have limitless opportunity to explore with. Right, right. Wow, so powerful. I had chills <laughs> just hearing you share all of that. Yeah, and that when I think of complexity, I think of nuance. We're not just these machines that we can turn on and off with a switch, that there are so many factors that go into lighting us up, mm -hmm. right? It's not any one particular thing. Mm -hmm. Some of the men I talk to are really concerned about their consumption of porn mm -hmm. and are worried about how it might impact their ability to find a partner or sustain a relationship or how they show up in bed. And I'm just curious, what do you say to that? What are your thoughts around porn use? So the conversation around porn use is certainly one that's controversial and brings up a lot of contention for many people. And depending on what group you're in, <laughs> you're going to have a very different opinion as far as your opinion on pornography. My answer to this is going to be very individual. Pornography isn't the problem, okay? Porn isn't addictive. There's addictive tendencies that a person might have, and it's an underlying mental health issue that so happens to be with a particular use of a modality like pornography. There isn't an inherent porn addiction that transforms your mind or warps your mind. And this work that I'm talking about really comes from Dr. Nicole Prousey. So it's a porn problem, but it's not an addiction. You know, so there might be a porn problem with underlying mental health issues that the tendency might be there. But pornography itself isn't something that's going to automatically perhaps maybe make all these changes in your brain that, that some other camps say. So from that's my perspective that I'm taking on it. The use of pornography from any individual is how do you use it? What role does sexual imagery or sexual film play in your life? What is the intention behind use? And how is the thing that I'm doing or the behavior that I'm engaging in impacting my life? And these are questions that each individual has to answer for themselves, right? And at what point does it become a problem? Well, for example, if you notice yourself avoiding certain situations or avoiding engaging in a relationship or with a partner in a particular way, or if your expectations are being warped or shaped in a particular way that are detrimental to your ability in connecting with another individual or with yourself, then it might be worth investigating more. Or if this thing that you're behaving in is really impacting your daily activities. For example, you find yourself watching pornography and missing out on work, missing out on important social activities, then that might be problematic, right? People need to ask for themselves, like, what, do I, what am I getting out of this? How is this enhancing or 
not enhancing my own sexuality. There are plenty of people who watch pornography and it helps to enhance their sexual experience with their partner. And lastly, I just want to say about pornography that I do think that if someone is going to be watching pornography, that they should really look at the source of what they're watching and really try to take pornography from a ethically sourced pornography. And there are plenty of resources for people to engage with that we we know people are not being exploited mm-hmm. in these situations. Yeah. yeah. And if that's, if that's a topic that's completely new to you, a really easy search term would be to just look up ethical pornography mm-hmm. and see where that leads. Yeah. Thank you so much for bringing that up as a final point there, that it is not necessarily the porn use that in and of itself is a problem, just in the same way that we throw around terms like food addiction or shopping addiction or things like that. And it's like, well, we all eat and we all have to buy things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not necessarily that that's the problem, but more the impact that our engagement with it is having on our lives. Mm -hmm. So I, I really appreciate that. Oh, this has been such a great conversation. And as we wrap up, I'm just curious if you could deliver a message to all the men of the world all at once, like if everyone could hear this podcast right now, what would you like them to know? That you are not alone. And if you're struggling right now with anything, if anything is really disturbing your mind, robbing you of your inner peace, keeping you up at night you're not alone and that you're loved. You're loved. It's okay to lean into these scary places and to ask for help because you don't have to do it alone and that there's so much out there for you to explore, to be with, and to inhabit. So let's do it together. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, what a beautiful message. And that's okay to keep looking too. I really appreciate that you use the word love because I think as professionals, that can sometimes be a word that seems like it's off the table. But for those of us who are really passionate about what we do, like, of course, love is behind how we're showing up and what we're saying and why we do what we do. And at the same time, that might not be someone's experience with every doctor they go to or every coach or every therapist or, you know, like any helping professional. And it's okay to keep looking, Mm -hmm. right? Because there are other Erica Davians and other (laughs) Dr. Susie Gronskys of the world. You know, there are enough of us to help. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Susie Gronsky can be found all over the internet (laughs) at places like her website at www dot Dr. Susie G, Susie, S-U-S-I-E-G.com on her YouTube channel, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, all the places. And remember, you don't have to be based in Asheville in order to work with her. She's able to work with people worldwide. Um, And of course, I'll have all these links in the show notes. Um, Oh, and would you like to mention your podcast as well? Oh, well, thank you. It's <laughs> called In Your Pants. And if you're on the YouTube channel, you'll find it there and on all streaming platforms as well. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much. Thank so you. So great talking with you. I really think this is going to hit home for someone out there who really needed this message today. Thank you, Erica. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, you have to come check out Bachelor to Boyfriend, the program. It's 12 weeks of one-on-one coaching with yours truly to help you finally move past the internal barriers between you and the relationship you want to create. Check it out at ericadavian.com. That's Erica with a K, 
And if you're curious, make sure to get your name on my mailing list so I can tell you next time doors open. My newsletter is my favorite way to connect with you all, and I respond to every email I receive. I can't wait to see you there.